Father God, would you open our eyes to see the gospel of your son here in your word? Would you show us how good it is? Would you move us to believe it? Would you grow us in our faith for the glory of our Lord Jesus? And we pray pray this in his name. Amen. I realised something this week. As we edge closer to December 17, our chances of Queensland going back into a COVID lockdown are becoming increasingly small. And that might sound like a good thing to you, but I see a problem with it. You see, as the chances of us going back into lockdown get smaller, the chances of me finishing my lockdown project also become smaller. You see, in March last year, when our whole country found a newfound interest in tidying up the garden and learning a new language and making their own sourdough, I too started a lockdown project. Here it is. Look at me go. That's in real time. (laughs) This old dining table, which Janice and I had picked up of Gumtree, was really in need of a fresh finish, and so I got to work. I started stripping all that paint off. I got really excited. And then I got a little bit too excited. And with my belt sander, I took off a little bit more than I wanted to and not only took off the paint, but also the veneer, exposing the ugly chipboard of the tabletop. (laughs) And so then I sort of gave up. And if you've been to our house, as a number of you have, if you've shared a meal in the Stolk family, you would have had the privilege of sitting at this half-naked table with half-naked chairs. 20 months later, my table still looks pretty much like that. It's unfinished. And being unfinished is way worse than being unstarted. It would have been better if I had just left it as it was compared to what it is now. And now time is running out for me to finish. If there's any hope of this table continuing on in our house... If there's any chance of me stopping my wife from going out and buying a new table, then I need to finish what I've left unfinished. Well, last week we began a new sermon series in the book of Titus where Paul's encouraging his young friend Titus to get on with the work of gospel ministry on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean Sea. And in the introduction of the letter, which I just read and which we looked at last week, Paul summarised his life's work in one sentence. He says the reason he's an apostle of Jesus and a slave of God is to further the faith of God's elect. Paul is on about making disciples and growing disciples. And he wants Titus to be on that mission too. And so this morning we learn that if Titus is going to make that happen on Crete, He needs to take care of some unfinished business. And it's important business. We see that in verse 5 because the whole reason that Paul left Titus on Crete was that he might put in order this business which, until now, was unfinished. You see, the churches in Crete are unfinished. They're lacking something. Just like my dining table, if they're to have any hope of continuing on into the future, 
If they're going to have any hope of fulfilling their purpose, of furthering the faith of God's people, well then Titus needs to finish what Paul left unfinished. And the thing that churches need, the thing that they lack, the thing that Paul wants Titus to put in order, is leaders. He wants him to appoint elders in every town. If the church is in Crete, indeed, if our church is to continue and grow, then we need multiple local godly leaders. You see, it was all well and good for a church to be established by a fly-in, fly-out sort of pastor like Paul. But eventually what they needed was people on the ground. People who were there rubbing shoulders with the members of those churches, committing to those people, nurturing their faith. Now, I fairly regularly meet people who kind of call themselves Christian, but who don't go to church. And quite often, I find people in that category, uh, they tell me that they don't really need to go to church because they can listen to sermons online. The number of times I've heard that is astounding. And if the only thing that we did here was, that was important was listening to a sermon, they would be right. In fact, if church was just a sermon, I would tell all of you, go home, get online, because there are plenty of preachers better than me. But there's a reason that we gather here, isn't there? There's a reason that we actually meet together each Sunday. There's a reason that COVID restrictions have been so challenging to churches around the world. Because the main way that God initiates and grows the faith of his people is through the church. It's through the rest of his people. It's through our relationships, through us rubbing shoulders, through us sharing in each other's lives that we help each other grow in faith. It's through the old guys teaching the young guys. It's through the mature Christian woman encouraging the new Christian woman. But what we're particularly interested today, it is through the teaching of elders pastoring God's people. That's our focus this morning, the eldership of the church. And so the first question is, what is an elder? And the word translated elder in verse 5, sorry, I've missed a few of those. Oh, yeah, I've missed heaps. There we go. The word translated elder in verse 5, it's the Greek word, it's presbyteros, it's where we get the word presbyterian. We named our church after elders, that's how committed to eldership we are. And it sounds like a very religious word, but really it just means old man. An elder is an old man. And so naturally the first question that I ask is, how old do they need to be? How old is old? And the Bible doesn't give us any answers. Instead, we actually have examples of young men being called elders. Timothy was a young man. Titus was a young man. Paul calls him his true son. It seems that what was more important than being an old man was being a mature man. There's no requirement for church leaders to be old. However, it was and still is a requirement that church leaders be men. 
Now, I want to be really careful as I speak about this, and it's not because men are any better than women. It's not because men are more qualified than women. It's not because men are more godly than women. But the Bible teaches from beginning to end that both men and women are equal in value to God, equal in worth, but that they have different roles. Equal in value, equal in sinfulness, equal recipients of God's grace, but with different roles. And so just as in the home, husbands and fathers are given the responsibility to rule their family, in the church, elders are given the responsibility to rule the congregation, but both of these are intended to mirror the responsibility that Jesus the man has in ruling God's people. To help us think about it, it's it's almost like a set of babushka dolls. Bear with me here. Husbands rule their families in the same way that elders rule their congregations, in the same way that Jesus rules the church. You see, they're like miniature imitations of the next one. The husband rules his family in the same way that the elders lead the church, but both of them are to mirror the leadership of Jesus ruling God's people. And so that changes how we think about a husband leading a family, and it changes how we think about an elder leading a church, because how does Jesus... Rule God's people? He dies for them. He sacrifices himself for them. He pours himself out in love for his people. And so by setting aside his own interests, Jesus seeks and serves the interests of God's people. And so male leadership... Sorry, male headship of husbands in the family and male leadership of the elders in the church has nothing to do with them ruling for their own interests. It's the opposite of that. They rule by surrendering themselves to further the faith of God's elect. So if this is the task of elders... And we're going to be really careful about who we make elders, aren't we? We're going to want to make sure that we're picking good elders. And so what kind of men does Paul think Titus should appoint as elders? Well, verse 6 tells us an elder must be blameless. And verse 7 leaves us without any doubt. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. Now, this is a bit confusing because there's two different words in our English Bibles that, sorry, two different Greek words that get translated blameless in our English Bibles. So you'll see the word blameless come up repeatedly in the New Testament, but the word behind that one English word is two different Greek words. One of them means blameless as in perfect, spotless, faultless, without blemish. That's the word that Paul uses in Ephesians 5 when he says husbands should love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word 
and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The blameless there is perfect. One day every Christian will be that kind of blameless. You'll be perfect. Jesus will have finished his work with you. You will be spotless, without blemish. There will be no trace of sin in you. That's not the standard for eldership. The word Paul uses here in Titus is the word for without blame, without accusation. The people that we should be appointing as elders are not perfect men, but men with a good reputation. They should have a good reputation both in and outside of the church. And so the place where Paul looks first to test whether an elder is blameless is in the home. If he's married, he must be faithful to his wife. If he's single, he must be faithful in singleness. If he's got young kids, he should have some semblance of control over them. The kids don't need to be perfect. But they shouldn't be wild and rebellious if they're young kids. And this makes complete sense. Remember the babushka dolls. That the pattern for leadership in the home is the same as the pattern for leadership in the church. And so it makes perfect sense that if we're going to choose church leaders, well, we should look to the home life of these men to see if they meet the standard. In verse 7, Paul continues the idea by pointing out that elders, or overseers as he calls them here, are managers of God's household. And that might cause you to think, well, if the job of a church leader is to be a manager, then maybe we should choose people who are good managers, good administrators, maybe businessmen. And sadly, the reality is that there are churches that do go down that line of thinking. When they're looking for leaders, they're looking for people that are successful in a worldly business sort of sense. But have a look at what Paul says matters. How many skills does he identify that these elders need? It's not one. It's all about character. And again, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Managing a household is nothing like managing a business. And if you don't believe me, just ask the married women in the room what was it that they were looking for in a potential husband? Tell me, ladies, how many of you thought, as long as he can balance a spreadsheet, I'm happy? How many of you said, I don't care how he treats me, as long as he pays the bills on time? How many of you had... The dream of the father of your children being someone who could run an efficient meeting. No one thinks like that, right? That is not the desirable characteristics in a husband or a father. And they're not the things that we should look for in an elder. When you're looking for a good dad or a good husband, you look at their character. And so Paul doesn't list a single skill. He doesn't list any kind of formal qualifications but what he does say is look at how they behave themselves in the home 
And look at how they relate to other people. He says an elder must be blameless. He says not overbearing. Because remember, a leader of the church is not pursuing their own interests. They're serving others. So he shouldn't be overbearing. He shouldn't be quick-tempered or a drunk or violent. Because lovingly leading people requires some self-control. He shouldn't be pursuing dishonest gain because what place does a greedy swindler have in helping other people to deny themselves to follow Jesus? And so instead, he should be hospitable, welcoming people into his home so that they, alongside the wife and kids, might benefit from his loving service. He should love what is good. He should be motivated to live a good life of self-control and uprightness and holiness and discipline. An elder must be blameless in the home, blameless in character and conduct. And finally, he must be blameless in his handling of the truth of the gospel. Verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, of course, we want church leaders who know their Bibles. We want church leaders who can teach the truth and refute error. But here what Paul's pointing to is not so much people who have a wide grasp of the biblical text, but people who have a tight grip on it. You see the difference there? That what the church needs more than intellectuals who can parse Hebrew verbs and identify every heresy in church history is elders whose knuckles are white because of how tightly they're holding on to the only thing that will stop them dying forever. We want people who are clutching onto the gospel with all their might. We need leaders with a genuine faith in the Lord Jesus. So what does all this mean for us? What is this passage about eldership? How does it apply to us? Well, there's three men in the room that it applies really directly to. And so I'm going to address them first. Colin, Graham, Martin. This is the kind of men that God expects you to be. Blameless in your character. Blameless in your conduct. Blameless in pouring yourself out to further the faith of God's people. Not seeking anything for yourself, not doing it for the praise, not doing it for the approving looks of others. We know that you're not doing it for the money, so that's fine. You're doing it for the good of God's people and the glory of Jesus. And so, brothers, my encouragement to you this morning is to keep emptying yourself for the good of God's people. Don't fall into the trap of thinking of yourself as an office bearer. Yes, there's some administration. I've got some paperwork for you to do after church. But first and foremost, your task is to be servant-hearted leaders of people. And so I thank God for you, brothers. Keep up the good work. We've got a long way to go. But believe it or not, this passage applies to more than just three people in the room. 
There's a reason that Paul wrote this down, even though in verse 5 he tells us that he's already told Titus about appointing elders in a previous conversation. There's a reason that God has put this passage in our Bibles for us to read. He wants us all to hear these words. And so, friends, there's three things that I think we can all learn from this part of God's word. The first thing is that if these qualities are good for the leaders of the church, well, they're good for the members of the church. None of the things that Paul describes are unique to elders. The elders must display them with excellence. They must display them to a high degree. But blamelessness in our relationships, blamelessness in our character, and blamelessness in our handling of God's word are things that we should all aspire to. Friends, as members of God's church, it's all of our responsibility to further the faith of God's elect, to help our brothers and sisters grow in faith, to help new people come to faith. And these are the kinds of people that God's going to use to do it. So friends, imitate your elders to the extent that they embody these traits. That's the first one. Uh, The second one... Keep your eyes open for people that we could be tapping on the shoulder to become elders. If you are a man who believes that this describes you, aspire to become an elder yourself. Uh, But it's all of our responsibility to appoint our leaders. And so let's keep our eyes peeled for people that we could make leaders. But finally, and I think perhaps most importantly... All of us. All of us. Let me encourage you to let the elders lead you. That doesn't come naturally for Australians. We don't really like authority, but make it a joy for your elders to serve you. Invite them to disciple you. Open up to them so that they get to know you and can actually speak into your life. And, friends, would you be willing to accept their teaching and even their correction? Trust me, it's just as hard for them to rebuke you and to correct you as it is for you to receive it. But we can grow as a church so much more if we're willing to accept the teaching of our elders. And so, friends, can I invite you to let your elders lead you? But more than that, Let's remember that they also need encouragement, just like all of us do. And so with that in mind, can I ask you to pray for your elders this week? Pray that God would help them be the kind of men that Titus, or that Paul tells Titus they should be. Pray that they would be faithful husbands and good dads. Pray that they would be faithful in singleness. Pray that they would keep growing in their character to be Christ-like in the way that they act. And pray that God would give them a firm grip on the gospel that they would never let go of. Pray that they would take the opportunities to teach the truth and refute error. Would you do that this week? How about we do that now? Let's pray. Our Lord God, we do thank you that you actually use us in your work 
of growing and making disciples. And Lord, we thank you for the leaders that you've appointed in our church to help us to do that. Lord, we thank you for Colin, for Graham and for Martin. We thank you that they are men who fit the description of Titus 1. Lord, we pray that you would help them continue in this good work of leading your people, of pouring themselves out to further the faith of your people. Lord, keep them from sin. Keep them firmly gripping to your grace. May there be nothing in their lives that might tempt them away from you. And may their lives and their conduct Help each of us grow to know you better, to love you more. Lord, we pray that you might be raising up more leaders for our church, for this generation and for future generations. Lord, we pray that through our gospel leaders that we might be seeing more and more people come to faith and growing to maturity so that they too can help to make disciples for your glory. And Lord, it is your glory that we are fixated upon. It is the praise of your name that we want. And so Lord, would you do that through our church, we pray. Amen.